Welcome back to the 18th Century Podcast, I'm your host CJ. In today's episode, we'll take a look at dueling. We'll kick things off by reading the Code Duello. Afterward, we'll continue by covering some of the histories of duels and importance to society in the 18th century. If you'd like to read the script for this episode and its citations, go to 18thcentury.home.blog. That's 18thcentury.home.blog. Type the numbers, don't spell them. Alright, let's get into it with the Code Duello. The Code Duello 1. The first offense requires the first apology, though the retort may have been more offensive than the insult. Example, A tells B he is impertinent, etc. B retorts that he lies, yet A must make the first apology because he gave the first offense, and after one fire, B may explain away the retort by subsequent apology. 2. But if the parties would rather fight on, then, after two shots each, but in no case before, B may explain first and A apologizes afterwards. NB. The above rules apply to all cases of offenses in retort not of a stronger class than the example. 3. If a doubt exists who gave the first offense, the decision rests with the seconds. If they will not decide or cannot agree, the matter must proceed to two shots, or to a hit if the challenger requires it. 4. When the lie direct is the first offense, the aggressor must either beg pardon in express terms, exchange two shots previous to apology, or three shots followed by explanation, or fire on till a severe hit be received by one party or the other. 5. As a blow is strictly prohibited under any circumstances among gentlemen, no verbal apology can be received for such an insult. The the alternatives, therefore, are the offender handling a cane to the injured party to be used on his back, at the same time begging pardon, firing until one or both are disabled, or exchanging three shots and then begging pardon without the... uh, Proofer of the cane. NB. If swords are used, the parties engage until one is well-blooded, disabled, or disarmed, or until after receiving a wound and blood being drawn, the aggressor begs pardon. 6. If A gives B the lie and B retorts by a blow, being the two greatest offenses, No reconciliation can take place till after two discharges, each or a severe hit, after which B may beg A's pardon for the blow, and then A may explain simply for the lie, because a blow is never allowable. And the offense of the lie therefore merges in it. See preceding rule. NB. Challenges for undivulged causes may be conciliated on the ground after one shot. An explanation or the slightest hit should be sufficient in such cases, because no personal offense transpired. 7. 
but no apology can be received in any case after the parties have actually taken their ground without exchange of shots. 8. In the above case, no challenger is obliged to divulge his cause of challenge, if private, unless required by the challenged so to do before their meeting. 9. All implications of cheating at play, raises, etc., to be considered equivalent to a blow, but may be reconciled after one shot, or admitting their falsehood and begging pardon publicly. 10. Any insult to a lady under a gentleman's care or protection to be considered as by one degree a greater offense than if given to the gentleman's personally, and to be regarded accordingly. 11. Offenses originating or occurring from the support of ladies' reputations to be considered as less unjustifiable than any others of the same class, and as admitting of slighter apologies by the aggressor. This is to be determined by the circumstances of the case, but always favorably to the lady. 12. No dumb firing or firing in the air is admissible in any case. The challenger ought not to have challenged without receiving offense, and the challenger and the challenged ought, if he gave offense, to have made an apology before he came on the ground. Therefore, children's play must be dishonorable on one side or the other, and is accordingly prohibited. 13. Seconds to be of equal rank in society with the principles they attend inasmuch as a second may either choose or chance to become a principal, and equality is indispensable. 14. Challenges are never to be delivered at night, unless the party to be challenged intends leaving the place of the offense before morning, for it is desirable to avoid all hot-headed proceedings. 15. The challenged has the right to choose his own weapons, unless the challenger gives his honor he is no swordsman, after which, however, he cannot decline any second species of weapon proposed to by the challenged. 16. The challenge chooses his ground. The challenger chooses his distance. The seconds fix the time and terms of firing. 17. The seconds load in presence of each other, unless they give their mutual honors that they have charged smooth and single, which shall be held sufficient. 18. Firing may be regulated first by signal, secondly by word of command, or thirdly at pleasure, as may be agreeable to the parties. In the latter case, the parties may fire at their reasonable leisure, but second presents and rests are strictly prohibited. 19. In all cases, a misfire is equivalent to a shot, and a snap or a non-cock is to be considered a misfire. 20. Seconds are bound to attempt reconciliation before the meeting takes place or after sufficient firing or hits as specified. 21. Any wound sufficient to agitate the nerves and necessarily make the handshake must end the business for that day. 22. 
If the cause of meeting be of such a nature that no apology or explanation can or will be received, the challenged takes his ground and calls on the challenger to proceed as he chooses. In such cases, firing at pleasure is the usual practice, but may be varied by agreement. 23. In slight cases, the second hands his principal but one pistol, but in gross cases two, holding another case ready, charged in reserve. 24. When the second disagree and resolve to exchange shots themselves, it must be at the same time and at right angles with their principles, if with swords side by side, with five paces interval. 25. No party can be allowed to bend his knee or cover his side with his left hand, but may present at any level from the hip to the eye. 26. None can either advance or retreat if the ground is measured. If no ground be measured, either party may advance at his pleasure, even to touch of muzzles but neither can advance on his adversary after the fire unless the adversary steps forward on him. NB. The seconds on both sides stand responsible for this last rule being strictly observed, bad cases having occurred from neglecting it. NB. All matters and doubts not herein mentioned will be explained and cleared up by application to the committee who met alternately at Colmel and Galway at the quarter sessions for that purpose. We'll continue with a brief history of dueling, and I'll explain what I previously read for better context. The act of dueling goes back centuries, and it's difficult to pinpoint the exact location where duels began but it is easier to trace down the origin of the word duel. The word duel most likely derives from the Latin word duellum, which means war between two. This art of single combat wasn't strictly speaking regulated until the 6th century when the king of Burgundy incorporated trial by combat. Trial by combat was a legal duel to decide the innocence or guilt of a person through a duel. Yet, private duels between two people would come to be illegal even though trial by combat would persist for a time. Duels would become more pronounced through the upper rings of society during the Italian Renaissance, and we would see it spread through military ranks as well. Codes of conducting duels would spring up and treatises would also be written on the topic. The core idea of a duel was to preserve one's honor. The rules of conduct would change over centuries, but the core idea remains the same. These honor duels would spread out of Italy and into France and the rest of Europe. Dueling in the 18th century was officially illegal pretty much everywhere throughout Europe, and the Americas as well. But it didn't stop participants. In 1777, the Irish Code Duello was written, which codified the tradition of the 18th century. The idea of honor was staked 
to the idea of being a gentleman in the 18th century. And if you haven't listened to the episode on being a gentleman in the 18th century podcast, uh, I'd highly recommend that you go back and listen to it. If your honor was offended, you must seek satisfaction or face social consequences. Essentially, you would be viewed more or less as a coward, for lack of a better word, that is one social negative in certain circles. Regarding the weaponry used in duels, swords were the most common for the majority of dueling history. However, once the 18th century rolled around, and due to the prevalence of firearms, pistols slowly overtook the sword. Eventually, pistols were specifically developed for dueling, and they would get the completely original name of dueling pistols. Now, this tradition would cross the waters from Europe to the Americas, and this would occur in the 17th century. But it would find its home more in the southern colonies rather than the northern. It still occurred in the northern, but it was more prevalent in the south. The reason being was due to the fact that there was a higher sense of the, uh, honor culture in the South, which continued into the 19th century. Even though duels were prevalent, the fatality rate was lower than one would expect, being around 20%. Now, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I'll tell you a little tale of a duel. Welcome back. I want to wrap things up with this episode by telling you a story about a duel, but not just any duel, the Petticoat Duel. I would like to note that this duel is probably fictitious, but the jury's still out on this one. Uh, no matter as it's still an interesting story which originated close to the period. The Petticoat Duel began in 1792 England. It all began by an exchange between two ladies. Mrs. Elphinstone, I believe that I'm pronouncing that correctly, Elphinstone, I'm going to just say Elphinstone for now, and uh, Lady Braddock. They were having a conversation over tea, and as time went on, Mrs. Uh, Elphinstone made a comment over Lady Braddock's age. Mrs. Elphinstone claimed that the Lady Braddock was 40 years old, and Lady Braddock asserted she wasn't even 30 yet. Over such a great offense, Lady Braddock challenged Mrs. Elphinstone to a duel. They were set to meet in Hyde Park. The duel would begin with pistols between the two women. Lady Braddock would prove to be a poor shot, but Mrs. Elphinstone had fate on her side, shooting a hole through Lady Braddock's hat. Each of their seconds begged them to end the duel, and that Mrs. Elphinstone issue an apology, which she didn't. Lady Braddock still demanded satisfaction over the age comment. The duel progressed to swords. They slashed at each other and metal clashed. And at some point, Lady Braddock landed a blow on Mrs. Elphinstone's sword arm, and the duel was complete. Lady Braddock had received satisfaction, and the two women left the field. 
This story originally ran in a magazine called the Carlton House Magazine in 1792. I hope this episode brought you some insight into the world of dueling during the 18th century. It wasn't a pretty thing, but honor culture was highly prevalent there during this time. Even if the petticoat duel never occurred, it's a perfect example of how a duel could be instigated over the smallest of things, and it's a great representation of the period. The script and citations for this episode and all other episodes can be found at 18thcentury.home.blog. That's 18thcentury.home.blog. Type the numbers, don't spell them. If you'd like to support the show, please share and leave a review. A rating and review on iTunes is fantastic if you have the time to do so. I have been your host, CJ, and thanks for listening to this episode of the 18th Century Podcast.